All right, Exodus chapter 11. So we're going to look at all of Exodus 11 today and the first 42 verses of Exodus 12, staying on pace. I am actually trying to keep this down to 35 minutes, not always successfully, but that's what I'm shooting for. So another thing to pray for while we're uh, in the Word together. We're going to look at all those verses, but I want to start by just reading chapter 12, verses 26 through 28, and then we'll pray and we'll get into it. So Exodus chapter 11, starting in verse 1, is where we're going to be today, but I'm going to start by just reading chapter 12, verses 26 to 28, and then we'll pray. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, not only teach us what it is we're meant to receive from your word, but Lord, would you empower us to do just as you say. Lord, we want to be doers of your word. We want to be those that respond to who you are and what you've done for us. And so we pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that Jesus would be made much of in our hearts. We pray, Father, you'd be glorified. We pray, Lord, you'd equip us through this to love one another. And we trust you for all these things, even this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. So some of you might know that the term Passover, that, that word Passover, is, is one Hebrew word, and it's a technical term that's only used to describe this event or this celebration of the Passover. And it's interesting because when we read these verses that, that I just read to you, it, it, it's, it's this great picture of sort of family worship, a family service. Everyone's around and you can, you can just kind of picture the family getting ready to celebrate the Passover and the, the little toddlers maybe just able to speak, maybe the first Passover where they have that kind of awareness of what's going on and they say, Mom, Dad, why are we doing this? What's this all about? Well, son... What this is about is the time when we were slaves in Egypt and God delivered us through the death of a lamb. And, and it's interesting because here, here's this picture in the middle of this section of this family celebration, but the celebration revolves around death. It revolves around the death of a lamb. And of course, as I say this, any of you who have any church experience whatsoever are thinking forward, aren't you, to Jesus, and rightly so. Because what happened to Israel historically, God provides through his son eternally. And so as we get into this today, as we look at the Lord's Passover, and it's called the Lord's Passover for a reason. It's not just, it's not the Jews' Passover, it's not Israel's Passover, it's not even our Passover, it's the Lord's Passover. As we look at this, I hope that we are, are solidified in our hearts and mind about what God has done 
through his strongest judgment, what he's done to set his people free. So we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 11, and we want to talk, first of all, of the context of Passover, because the context for Passover is actually God's judgment. Here we are on the 10th plague, or the 10th judgment, and this is what we read in chapter 11, verse 1. God's going to give the prelim to Moses. He says, the Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from there, and when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor, every woman of her neighbor, for silver and gold. That, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So, so, so God's wanting to say, Moses, here it is. The, the culmination of all these judgments, it's all coming to a head right here. But it is a judgment that will liberate his people. It's interesting, too, some of the things that are here. It's a judgment that would overrule Pharaoh's hard heart. Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. Even we see that God being over that hardened or, or sort of solidified him in his bad decision. But even with that bad decision, wanting to keep God's people in slavery, God overrules that with this judgment. And it's a judgment that's going to actually change Egypt's perspective. The Hebrews were despised, or they're slaves, they're lower class, they don't matter. But now what are they? Moses, that guy, he's a real leader, and the, and the Israelites, man, we, these guys, we, we need to do whatever it takes to get them out, because they have more power than we do. And this is exactly what God said he was going to do way back in Exodus chapter 3. If you remember this, it says, God said, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you will not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God's saying this is what's happening now. What I said would happen is happening now. But it's also a judgment that's going to identify his people. It's going to be, make once and for all say, this is how my people are identified. They're identified by how I delivered them through these judgments. Look at verse 4. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land, such as there has never been nor will ever be. Now this is Moses saying to Pharaoh, Kind of a little snapshot, a thought bubble, you might say. And what happens? Verse 7, but Moses says to Pharaoh, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out and he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And we know Moses has a bit of a temper. We're going to see this a bit later on. doesn't suit him well. But here I think this is when maybe his anger is righteous. Because it reminds us of Jesus. Because I think what's going on here is, is Moses is feeling towards Pharaoh what Jesus felt towards the Pharisees. Listen to this. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Jesus looked around at them, that's the Pharisees, with anger. Why? He was grieved at the hardness of heart. 
We don't want to forget the reality of what's happening here. We don't want to, to so see the principles that we forget in history. What was happening was hundreds of thousands of people had died because of Pharaoh's stubbornness. And even more were going to. And Moses sees this hardness of heart. He recognizes this injustice. And he goes, he's just angry. He's righteously angry. But God's still at work. God's wanting to show there's something distinct about his people. In fact, listen, what God's doing here is through these judgments, he's wanting to identify to Pharaoh who his firstborn is, who God's firstborn is. And again, he said this way back in Exodus 4 when he told Moses what he was going to do. Listen, God says to Moses, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now I know this sounds harsh, but let's not forget the context that we're in. Plague after plague after plague, judgment after judgment after judgment, plea after plea after plea saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And the servants say, no. And God's saying, listen, I'm going to do this to show here's who my people are. In fact, God's going to reveal how God's people can know they're his firstborn. And we'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 12. Then look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let my people go. This judgment is a judgment where God's going to defeat his enemies. And we talk about the enemies of God. Let's not ever forget the biblical context of that, that phrase, the enemies of God. Because when we talk about the enemies of God, it's not those whom God has made himself an enemy to, but those who have made themselves an enemy to God. You understand? Because the God of the scripture is a God who, who takes enemies and says, I want to make you my friends. No, more than that. I want to make you my children. That's what he does. But he will judge those who refuse it. Now, it's important also to remember the biblical context of how God feels about even judging the wicked. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11 says this, Say to them, God says, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the would, wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? Hey, listen, if you're here today and, and you're, you're not sure where you stand with God and you're feeling a bit of condemnation, or maybe even at this moment you're going, I knew it, those preachers, they're always pointing the finger at us. I want you to know something. I'm not going to say to you, God doesn't judge you. Yes, he does. He judges me too. But I'm going to say to you, please stay and listen. Because when you understand God's judgment, then you'll understand the great grace that God gives us through Jesus. Stay with us. The context for Passover is God's judgment, but the purpose, listen, the purpose of Passover is a new beginning. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth month of this day, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's house, a lamb 
for his household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, shall, uh, you shall make your count for the lamb. And your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of, of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now we're going to talk about the lamb in a second. <laughs> but it, it, don't miss this reality. That when God's going to deliver his people out of Egypt to identify them as his people, he's saying, listen, this is the beginning. Here's where new beginning starts. It begins with my deliverance that comes through a judgment. That's where the new beginning starts. Now, what's the requirements here? This year started with them choosing the Passover. Because the Passover, that phrase, doesn't just represent the festival or the celebration or the holiday. It, it represents the actual lamb that's chosen. The Passover. It refers to the lamb itself. First, it has to be, according to verse 5, required it has to be young, male, and without blemish. Peter writes this. You know, Peter, the apostle Peter, when uh, Jesus is bros, yeah? He says, you were ransomed, Peter writes, with the precious, talking to us as believers in Jesus, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Peter looks back at Exodus and says, Jesus fulfills this. He was required, according to the first part of chapter, I'm sorry, verse 6, it was required this lamb be thoroughly examined over four days. That's why they had to keep it for four days. It had to be, they had to be so sure that this lamb was without blemish. It was perfect. This is the whole point of Jesus' life, was that as he's under the microscope of public opinion, the only thing that he can get crucified for is saying that he's God's only son. In other words, they crucify him for rightly identifying himself. Why? Because he's perfect. And the, the second part of verse 6 tells us that he's required to be the lamb's required to be publicly killed. How was our Lord assassinated? Publicly. Why is this important? It's important because we need to recognize that not just in the Passover lamb, but as we see all these sacrifices being commanded by God, that they point forward to whom John the Baptist called the Lamb of God. Listen, John the Baptist said this. He saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. Why is this important? It's important because their year, their new beginning began. Their, their new beginning started with this perfect, spotless lamb being slain in their stead. I want you to think about this for a second. These other nine plagues that happened, in these other nine judgments that we've seen so far in Exodus, God either said, listen, Here's the warning, hide yourself, or in Goshen, where you live as my people, it won't happen to you. Why not here? Why here is requiring a Passover lamb? We'll see that in a second. Verse 7. Then they shall take the blood, some of the blood, and put it on two doorposts and the lintels of the house in which they eat. They shall enter, or they sorry, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. 
Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belts fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. That's what he says. Now, now he gives all these really detailed instructions. You can't boil it. you gotta, you got to roast that thing. You can't get rid of the guts. you got to roast it whole. Keep, even keep the head on. You, you, you have to kind of just, it's got to be this thing where when you eat this thing, you need to eat it in a certain way. Why? Now, there's, there's so much speculation about what this means. And I've heard some amazingly interesting sermons that have no biblical basis about what these things mean. We don't know for sure. Some great speculation, but we don't know for sure. But here's what we do know for sure. That God's trying to say this Passover, this lamb, roasted lamb, is not for normal consumption. It's a holy deliverance. God's doing something specific with this. In fact, in, in, with this idea that you have to be sort of ready for action. That it's not meant for leisurely enjoyment. It's meant to prepare you for the journey. To prepare you to walk. That's the purpose of this lamb. You see, their survival depended on them correctly consuming the Passover. They couldn't move forward in the life, and the new life, the new beginning that God gave them, unless they were correctly consuming the Passover. Can you guys think of a New Testament parallel? Communion? We as sort of uh, Protestant, contemporary, evangelicals, if you don't know what those words mean, don't worry, they're not that important. <laughs> but we as kind of modern Christians tend to treat communion as, yeah, just kind of something that we do, we remember. But you know, the church never viewed communion that way. It's always been about remembering, no doubt. The, 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 nothing changes with the, the, the bit of unleavened bread that we use or the bit of gr uh, grape that we crush. Nothing actually physically changes. God doesn't kind of show up and kind of spin around inside those things. That's not it. But the act itself is bigger than just having just a teeny bit of unleavened bread and a teeny bit of juice. It's bigger than that. God wants to commune with his people. And we take that act because we believe our new beginning, our new relationship that we have with this God has been provided through the Passover lamb, our Passover Jesus. We can commune with him because of that that alone. And, and, and not recognizing that means, guess what? We're not prepared to walk. Not recognizing that. Devaluing what this, the, our Passover lamb Jesus has done for us means we're not prepared to walk. Which is why Paul gives these really serious warnings in 1 Corinthians 11. We'll talk more about that in future weeks. Look at verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, a statute forever, and you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. That means they're cast away from God's covenant people. 
On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day another holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts, that some of your versions might say your armies, out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, you shall eat the unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your house. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. So God, remember, we have the Passover hasn't happened. This is just God giving the instructions through Moses. And God giving the instructions through Moses, he makes it clear, okay, listen, what's about to happen is the first day of this feast, or leads to this feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And here's what's interesting. What's interesting is, though this was, we'll see later on in the text, that the reason in the text is given that you're going to do this is because this is how I'm going to provide for you, because you've got to get out of Egypt in a hurry, and so you're going to need to, to not be able to, to wait for bread to rise and make it. You're going to just have to have this dough that you can slap on a fire and eat it like flatbread. It's not going to rise at all. There's a practical provision in this. But it's interesting because in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul looks back on this, and he sees this, listen, he sees this as, as it pointing to our holy lives as God calls us to be. It points to us walking with God, pursuing, as we saw at church camp, pursuing holiness. That's what it talks about. Let me just read it to you. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes it this way. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are really unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In other words, Paul looks back at this and he says, not only is Jesus our Passover lamb, but we, what the provision was for the Israelites, right? Here's, here's provision for you for the journey, the seven days journey. Here's provision for you to kind of get across. This is what you're going to have. But this is God's provision for us to live a holy life. See, their feasting was meant to reflect the holy life they were receiving through Passover. This is, this is what we need to see with this. The purpose of Passover is a new beginning for God's people. That's what he's doing. Now, the last bit, the focus of Passover is the death of the Lamb. Look at verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover Lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, it's just a kind of a uh, a kind of a waxy uh, plant that works well as a brush. And dip it in the blood that is in the basin. And notice it says, touch the lentils and the two doorposts with the lamb that is in the basin, with the blood, sorry, that is in the basin, 
None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentils and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep this service. So, so what's God doing? He's saying, okay, here, here it is. I'm still making sure you're clear about how this Passover celebration is meant to work. And he makes it super clear, super important. Listen, it's not enough to slay the lamb. The blood has to be applied. It has to be. Now, if you go back to verse 13, you go back to verse 13, what does it say? You might have noticed I didn't read that, so hopefully you picked up on that. Verse 13, we're going to read it now. The blood shall be a sign for you, God says, on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Two things there about the applying of the blood. One is applying the blood brings assurance. So he says, listen, I want you to apply the blood. Is that what he says in verse 13, right? This blood shall be what? A sign for you. So here they are. They put the blood on the doorposts. They walk into their house. What happens at midnight? They hear the screams of terror. And they might be thinking to themselves, am I next? Now, in good, for good reason, they might be thinking to themselves, am I next? Because God says really clearly, doesn't he, that what he's doing with this tenth and final judgment is he's judging all the gods of Egypt. And please don't make any mistake, the Israelites, they belonged to the Lord, were learning pagan habits. They were learning to worship the gods of Egypt. The rest of Exodus will make that true, make that clear. And so there would have been a real sense, a right sense, that they were just as guilty of false worship as the, as the Egyptians which is why it commands that they are in just as much need of applying the blood to their own homes. But when that blood was applied, what would they see? They put the blood on the door. It goes over the top of the door. It goes on the sides of the, of the posts. They walk through that doorway. What do they have? Okay, this is what's going to keep me. When I hear the, scr the screams of terror in, in, uh, across the, the valley, I know, wait a second, I've applied the blood. This is my assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. But also, listen, they have that assurance because applying the blood provides security from the judgment of God. This is why God says, when, verse 13 again, this is why God says, listen, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Now, now the reason I, I separate these two things is because I think it's really important for us. Jesus has provided for us what is necessary both for our security before God and our assurance before God. Here's the reality. No matter how we live, no, no matter how well we walk, our security is always based on the shed blood of Jesus. Do you understand? That is the gospel. That is the good news. But our assurance comes with the right application of that blood recognizing what the blood's provided for us, recognizing 
why we, we, have, we need the Passover lamb, how it prepares us for the journey. So you have security that never changes. It's always based on Christ. But assurance, our sense that yes, indeed, this applies to me comes from us applying the blood. Not working for anything, simply believing what God says. Are you following me? Some of you here can quote the gospel, explain the gospel, but you have a hard time believing the gospel. I say some of you here talking to me. Because when I woke up this morning and our dog had had <clears throat> accidents all around the house, ate something his tummy didn't like. And when you wake up at 5.30 thinking, okay, I need some time with the Lord, and this is what you find, you start doubting your faith a little bit. And I wish I could say I was spiritual and as I was cleaning it up. I was saying, God, thank you that you cleaned me up and you're so good to me. But I was thinking, how could I kill the dog and make it look like an accident? <laughs> this is where my heart went. And then, then by the time I get to the office and I'm trying to review my notes, I've, I recognize I'm getting farther and farther behind time. Like I thought, oh, I thought I'd be done by now. And, oh, time to get, it's getting, I'm getting later and later. And then I'm kind of realizing, man, I'm really late. And Sarah, my wife, needs me to pick her up so she can come and run the kids' ministry. And I'm feeling this pressure, this pressure, this pressure. And through my head, you know what's going through my head? You're probably not really a Christian. Because a real Jesus follower wouldn't respond the way you're responding right now. And you know what I needed to see? You know what I needed to remember? That God saw the blood. Not my blood. The blood of the precious lamb. And then when I remembered, yes, Lord, that's the blood. And, and by your grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by your work in my life, I applied that blood to my life on Sunday, October 4th, 1987. And it still applies. It still applies. I'm still yours. The focus of Passover is the death of the Lamb. Why? Because that's, that's the blood that needs to be applied. Notice what it says in verse 23 again. In verse 23, it says, For the Lord will pass through this and strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel of the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. The dog, maybe, but not the angel of death, okay? You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever, right? Oh, where did I miss it? Oh, where did I miss it? I missed it. Where is it? It's somewhere in there. Hmm. Did I get the wrong verse? Ah, it's verse 22, isn't it? None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Verse 22, not 23. None of you shall go to the house till morning. What's it saying? You have to abide where the blood was applied. Now, please don't misunderstand me. The Bible does not teach, the gospel is not, you keep your salvation. Jesus earns it, you keep it. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God's, Jesus has earned your salvation. He's earned your right place with, with the Father. He's earned your forgiveness. He's earned you new life. He's, he's the one who's paid for all of this. You just need to live in it. You live right there. Don't move out. Live right there. Abide in that house. What did you say? You abide in me. My word abides in you. What will happen? You ask the Father what you will, and you'll bear much fruit, and the Father will be glorified, and you'll have joy. You don't build the house. You don't build the house. You don't even have to reapply the blood necessarily. 
It's just recognizing, where do I live? I live in the house where the blood was applied. I dwell right there. The blood must be applied. Verse 29, we're almost done. And at midnight, the Lord struck down. This is the, it's actually happening now. Here it is, this is the Passover actually happening. Not just what it means, not just where it's at, but this is the, it actually happening. Verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Is that not terrifying? Is that not sobering? We have to recognize, listen, death is going to have its impact. It's hard for us right now because we are living in a season as a church where we feel like we're in the shadow, valley of shadow of death. Just a couple weeks ago, lost Bev. As glorious as her testimony is, it's hard to have her gone. Thinking about little Nathaniel who, man, God by his grace snatched him from death. But there's a long way to go for his recovery. Esther who are believing God's going to provide and bring the healing whether it's supernaturally or through the medical means, but she always lingers before death. And we dare not treat death lightly or flippantly. Death is a terror that affects all of us. It's called the last enemy for a reason. But death has lost its sting because Jesus is alive. And this Passover, listen, is meant to not say you're stuck in death, but that God overcomes death. The death that the, all the Egyptians deserved, the death that all the Israelites deserved when a, a precious lamb was slaughtered in its place, they were delivered. In fact, what happens in verse 31? When facing death, here's what happens. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go serve the Lord as you said. Take your flocks and your herds as you said. Be gone and bless me also. Then the Egyptians were urgent, verse 33, with the people to send out the land, send them out of land in, in haste, for they said, We shall all die. What's happening here? What's happening here is death is motivating a change of behavior. But not necessarily a change of heart. This is also important. It's important because when we face death, it can change our behavior. That's, that's kind of the motivation for putting the warning on the cigarette packs, you know, these will kill you. Trying to get them to think, do you really want this to happen? Have you guys seen that documentary? It's an older documentary now called Supersize Me about McDonald's. You guys seen that? Yeah? I didn't eat at McDonald's for years. I've gone back now. Because <laughs> I'm not that afraid of death. Not, at least not death through McDonald's. Sounds like a good way to go. <laughs> but there's a problem with this, isn't it? Because the truth is death isn't really a good motivator for change. Maybe a temporary change of behavior, but not a change of heart. Only life can bring that. But what happens? Verse 35, or verse 34, sorry. 
So the people took their, their dough, not their money, but their actual bread dough, before it was leavened and their kneading bowls, and they bound them up in their cloaks on their shoulders. This is unleavened bread dough. The people of Israel uh, had also done as Moses had told them, for they asked the Egyptians for gold, silver and gold and jewelry and clothing, and, uh, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that, they, that, that, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians, just like God said. See, it's interesting. This death of the firstborn, or I should say this death of the uh, Passover lamb, this death was used by God, this judgment of the firstborn was used by God to bring God's people from poverty to riches. Now, some of you are going, is John going to go prosperity? No, I'm not. Just relax. Listen. Here's what the scripture says. God had told Abram, before he was even called Abraham, God had told Abram way back in Genesis 15, as part of his, his, his having a, a prodigy that would, would uh, him having children that would bless the whole earth, here's part of what he, ex- he could expect for them in the future. The Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. See, here's what's happening, right? The blood has to be applied. Death will have its impact, but here's what we're going to see now. Freedom is going to be experienced. When the focus is on the lamb, when we, the focus is on the lamb that was slain for us, when the focus is there, that's when we experience Freedom, verse 37. The people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. We'll have a map in future times to show where this looks like. And about 600,000 men on foot, uh, besides women and children, that could be up to 2.5 million people. We'll talk about more about that in the future as well. A mixed multitude, verse 38, also went up with them in a very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Who are the mixed multitude? We don't know for sure. They could have been slaves from other nations that were also enslaved by um, by uh, Egypt. But, but here's what we do know, okay? Any who were willing to walk with God's people found freedom. Any who were willing to. Listen, listen, this is really important, considering, too, that God chose one man and then one nation, Israel. Even back then, he expected them to be a light so that as they obeyed God, as they uh, as they, they applied the blood of the Passover lamb, anyone who would do the same and follow them out, guess what, would experience the same freedom. Salvation is for the Jew first, but it's also for the Gentile. As a Gentile, I'm very thankful. But verse 39 says this, and they baked unleavened cakes of dough they had, uh, that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and they could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Listen, this is practical, but it's also applicational. The truth is this, freedom is about what we receive from God, not about what we provide for ourselves. We have a responsibility. We're called to respond. There's something we each walk. God's not going to walk for you. You put one foot in front of the other. You need to walk, but you only walk through the provision that God's given you through the Passover lamb. You following me? It's God's provision. It's following God's instruction. 
It's recognize what he's provided that actually gives you freedom that you can walk in. Lastly, for today, verses 40 to 42, and that, that the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt, that they're leaving, they've left Egypt. The time they lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 40, 130 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt, and it was night, uh, a night of watching by the Lord. In other words, God's observing to bring them out of the land. He's, he's observing to make sure it happens. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout the generations. In other words, God made sure we got out. We make sure we remember it. That's the point. See, freedom remembered is freedom enjoyed. It is for freedom that he sets you free, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God sets us free by what he does through his Son. God washes away our sin through the act of another, our Passover lamb, Jesus. God even makes us rich through him who made himself poor. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor. By the way, that means we follow his example, willing to become poor that others would be rich. That you might, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. What riches did Jesus have before he, did God the Son have before he took on flesh in Jesus? What riches did he have? All of them. <laughs> All of them. And he laid those aside and became poor so that we may be brought in to him, to be co-heirs with him. That's what he's done. The focus of Passover is the death of the Lamb. The focus of our faith is the death and resurrection of the Lamb. Because it's through his sacrifice that we know freedom, that we know forgiveness, that we are made vessels worthy to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's through him, through his shed blood. That's the Lord's Passover. That's what the Lord has provided for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would right now, by faith, either remember that we've already applied the blood by faith, or that we would, for the first time, apply the blood by faith. Father, we believe that you sent your only begotten son for us, that his life, his perfect life, provides for us righteousness. That his perfect sacrificial death provides for us forgiveness and deliverance from the power of sin. And that his resurrection, his bodily resurrection, guarantees our resurrection and that same power is how we walk by your Holy Spirit that he made us worthy to be filled with. Lord, all of it is because of the, your Passover. Father, what you provided in Jesus. Lord, I pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, today would be the day of new beginnings for them. That they would come to know you as the lamb that was slain for them. And they would look at their sin and see it for what it is and they would know that Christ died for that 
and they would, by faith, apply that blood to that sin and be forgiven and start fresh with you. Lord, I pray that you would do this by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, you would move in power. And I pray, Lord, you would move so powerfully that we don't even have to do an altar call. People would come and say, I believe I've applied the blood today. Would you do that right now? Please, Father. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for this time together. And we just commit the rest of the walk, the rest of our walks to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Hope to see you guys uh, next week. Don't forget the summer challenge. If you don't know what it is, go to the back table, get a little card that talks about it. And uh, uh, if I didn't get to meet you, if you're visiting today, I'd love to meet you today. So uh, please come say hi. God bless. See you soon.